0: like new on KG News, it's the economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder, and this is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the old-fashioned radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks like new is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, our guest is Kevin Owaki. He's the founder or chief roboticist or summoner of bots of Gitcoin, a company that builds uh, a double-sided market that connects coders, uh, uh, building software, to funding. Uh, and we're going to explore together the question of whether networks can liberate work. Um, can new technologies change how, um, how work is done? Um, not just in the kind of Uber, Airbnb sense, uh, but in, uh, in a really more transformative way. Um, this is a kind of dream that's been out there for a while, that once we get the the gizmos set up just right, um, work will be transformed in some uh, a tremendous fashion. And, you know, I, I've seen over and over foundations and universities and think tanks holding endless meetings about the future of work. Over and over you hear that phrase. Um, and and the, the big gig economy platforms, uh, the Ubers and so forth, claim to be, be delivering it with their gig economies of non employee contractors who can expect few benefits or labor, labor rights. Um, meanwhile, at the same time in recent years, the growth of that same gig economy appears to have slowed or halted. So some of the promises of a kind of uh, revolution in work through online platforms. Um, uh, seem to have fallen short in some ways. Now, our guest today, uh, Kevin Owaki, is building a system meant to bring a future of work to the rarefied world of software developers. Um, In doing that, he's had to try building what a lot of people have just been speculating about, uh, which is a market for work that is at once free from fixed employment uh, while also being efficient and fair. Now, uh, Gitcoin, this project, is also on the blockchain uh, using technology uh, based on you know the same underlying stuff as Bitcoin and, and, and that sort of thing. It, it runs on Ethereum, which is a, another blockchain system. The company uh, and Kevin himself are based in Colorado. Uh, they also have excellent robot stickers, which I highly recommend getting your hands on. Um, you can keep an eye out also for uh, the Sustain Web 3 uh, gathering, which is going to be on February 13th, which he's involved in in organizing. And, and that really points to another problem that Gitcoin is aiming at, a social problem uh, beyond the question of the future of work, which is how do you sustain uh, the commons? How do you sustain something like open source software, code that uh, makes the Internet work in many ways, that, that hums beneath the uh, the net? Uh, uh, but that nobody really owns? Um, how do you fund and support and sustain uh, this this kind of shared resource? Could the future of work enable us uh, to actually get paid to produce such true common goods rather than just um, private benefit for a certain company uh, or, or for ourselves? So Kevin's exploring a lot of really um, uh, really complex things all at once. He's he's um, uh, uh, Maybe that's why he has so many titles uh, on the different websites where you can find uh, stuff about him and about Gitcoin, a chief roboticist, summoner of bots, wannabe philosopher king. All of these um, are publicly associated with him. Uh, so we'll see which one sticks. Um, Kevin, welcome to Looks Like New. Nathan, thanks so much for having me. All right. Let's start where you are now. What is the thing that you are wrestling with most? What's the tricky challenge you're you're engaged in that's that's you know consuming you at the moment?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I'll just start with our deep why. Uh, Gitcoin, since we founded the company back in twenty seventeen, has been oriented around a mission, and that mission is to grow and sustain open source software. So the phones that we have in our pockets, the computers that we rely on, the very internet, relies on open source software. You could think of it as sort of a digital roads and bridges that runs our 21st century economy. And the crazy thing about the software being open source means that it's freely available for anyone to take and install on a machine without paying any royalties, which is kind of great. It's liberating that Uh, someone who's going to be building a web startup the next uber is going to have a ton of amazing software in their pocket to start their next venture it means that for someone like me starting a company i don't have to create my own database server create my own web server it means that i can just kind of build with these building blocks but the the problem is that open source software is not a paid thing and so people who are working on it are doing it nights and weekends out of out of just sort of the goodness of their hearts and it means sometimes some time away from your family and it doesn't help you pay your mortgage which you know if you're a software developer that might be something that that you're trying to do it doesn't help you put your kids through school and all these things take money these days so we're seeing a lot of burnout from open source software developers because there's no way to to finance that that work because by definition open source is given away for free so that's the big, hairy, audacious goal of, of Gitcoin, is to create a network that rewards software developers for their work in the commons, for their work in, in open source software. And uh, so far, we're doing about $300,000 per month on the network, and something like 30 people have gone full-time into open source because of our work. So I'm super proud of our, our results, but we're really only making a small dent so far. Like I said, $400 billion per year in economic value created by open source software. And if we're successful,
0: we'll, we'll make a bigger dent in that. And so let's get back to that question. What, is, what are you working through right now to get to where you want to go? What is uh, right. What's kind of front of mind?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> startups are, are kind of like an onion. There's many layers of problems. The one that I'd like to unpack for your audience is uh, is just the name Gitcoin. So what does that sound like to you?
0: Git? Let's unpack that. Mm-hmm. That's a tool that uh, open source developers use to manage their versions. Right, so it's a, it's exactly. It's a version control system. So, yeah. so what that means is it's kind of like the... Uh, uh, the system that you use to determine what is, where is the software now? Where has it been? And yeah. manage contributions from lots of different people. Yeah. Uh, so this is a kind of essential code word in yeah. this in this community. And then coin that mm-hmm. sounds like money.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if you're a software developer, Git is something that you rely on every day in order to change software to push those changes to your community. And it's really GitHub, which is the largest software hosting platform in the world, has kind of taken over the world. Everyone hosts their code there. Microsoft just bought yeah. it last yeah.
0: year, year before something like that for what five billion? Yeah,
1: something, something like? with a B. Yeah, <laughs> on it. And uh, so, so coin is is sort of uh, the area where I would dive in on when, especially when it comes to challenges, because for a majority of your audience, well, Gitcoin is only one character off from Bitcoin, and. For the general audience, all we remember about Bitcoin is that it goes crazy speculative bubbles and then they crash. And and so a lot of your listeners might be thinking, oh, Bitcoin, I haven't heard of that in two and a half years. There's still people doing stuff on that. And the the thing that I want your audience to know is that these crazy speculative bubbles are what grabbed the headlines, but it's really only the tip of the iceberg with respect to what's going on in the decentralization space, the peer-to-peer space. There's several crypto networks that have thousands of developers that are working on them, trying to build a world in which we can just put banks in our pocket. So the Internet of Information took a thousand songs and put them into your pocket and completely changed the way the entertainment industry works. We think that maybe blockchain and Bitcoin and these crypto networks can take banks and and put the trust that they provide into your pocket, which could completely change the way the, the financial system works. And so we're sort of Pushing towards a vision that's more of a peer-to-peer open source financial system built around the values of transparency and, and community. And uh, and so there's lots of interesting developments going on in the blockchain space. But to bring it back to the question that you asked, Nathan, a lot of people outside of the the little the blockchain developer, let's call it ecosystem don't really know that. And they think that Bitcoin and blockchain is just a passing fad. So we're trying to figure out how to get people to realize that this is potentially world changing technology and to get them to pay attention, invest their time in in building these tools. And that's part of what Bitcoin does. You know, we build economic incentives for people to build open source
0: blockchain tools. Okay, so walk me through the process here. I'm a coder. I'm not. I dropped out of. Uh, coding school pretty early, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, pretend I was, yeah. and I had something valuable to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, what, Where do I enter? What do I do? Sure. How does this provide value for me?
1: Yeah, so uh, you can go to gitcoin.co, which is our web presence, and you can uh, connect to your GitHub account, which is uh, has maybe information about you as a coder and and what type of languages you like to work with, we use that information in order to match you with our repository of open bounties on the platform. And the way uh, a bounty works is just that if someone is working on a feature or a bug report, or even once documentation done, then they can attach a reward to turning around that feature request or bug report. And you as the coder can earn that reward as a means of... uh, compensation for for the work that you did. And the rewards are denominated in Ether, which is the number two cryptocurrency by market cap, and then any Ethereum-based token. So there's on the order of several thousand Ethereum tokens that you can be paid in. So it's kind of an entry point. It's the tip of the spear for a lot of people
0: who are entering the blockchain space. And so Ethereum is this kind of uh, second generation uh, blockchain system after bitcoin that allows for contracts and mm-hmm. you can write programs in it not just trading around money but all right. kinds of um uh, uh, token type things represent you know a right. land title or or yeah. uh x i remember a really early case a friend did a, a video about how to write a marriage contract right mm-hmm. when they were first getting this going you know simple mm-hmm. to the complex complex financial instruments and you're this is the ecosystem that you're working in among people building on this Ethereum system.
1: Yeah, exactly. For the general audience, Ethereum is kind of just like Bitcoin, but is a little bit faster, has a little bit more capacity. And then it also has this feature called smart contracts, which basically allows you to program logical circuits into your money, which can be really powerful if you're working on a use case that requires a lot of trust from an intermediary. You know, say you're buying a house, then your money has to go into escrow for some amount of time. And you're basically trusting that escrow company based off of their licensing or their history uh, to not run away with your money or to not lose your money. And the cool thing about smart contracts is that you can have a smart contract that can hold that money while it's in transit, and no one has access to that to that money. No one has actual physical access to to taking your money. So it sort of changes the the equation with respect to how money can move around the world, because now you can move it across the world instantly, and you can also have these logical circuits that determine who and how the money is divided up. So. You know, if you can program your money, what are the interesting use cases that will that will come out of that? Is the universe of of questions that blockchain developers are adding? The specific one that Gitcoin is focused on is how do we reward software developers for their work, u- with programmable money using programmable money.
0: Okay, so I'm a, I'm a virtual bounty hunter. Um, uh, just signed up for Gitcoin, and I'm uh. uh uh, browsing around on what on Gitcoin, your, yeah. you're on Gitcoin. Yeah. You're, I'm seeing a listing of, of mm-hmm. bounties that mm-hmm. I can do, right? Do I have any, um, you know, what is does this uh, future of work look like for me? Do I have any security? Is there any kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, assumption about how many jobs I might get over mm-hmm. the course of a month? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and what does it mean to get paid in this magic money?
1: Right. Yeah, so all, all you really great questions, and I feel like we're just just at the tip of the iceberg and sort of exploring a lot of different future of work concepts. And and the thing I would love your les- listeners to know is that bounties are just one of the products that we we offer. I I think that you know as a software developer who has a kid and a mortgage, I rely on a monthly paycheck in order to pay those things, and I think that. Uh, A world in which everyone in the world is a bounty hunter seems fairly dystopic to me to have to always be hustling for your next gig and negotiating with clients. And so we've built this this product called Gitcoin Grants, which is basically a way of saying, hey, Nathan, we've done a couple bounties together, and I like your style. You seem like a great guy. You seem like you're really talented. And I don't want to have to write all these crazy scopes for every feature I want you to develop. I'll just put you on this... $1,500 $1500 a month recurring grant and just deliver $1500 worth of of value to my project and and you know we'll keep you on payroll. And so basically the the life cycle of a bounty hunter for us is ideally you meet someone and you f- you fall in love and then you walk off into the sunset either off platform or using a Gitcoin grant to to pay them recurring, and I think that that stability is what a lot of software developers are looking for. They want to know that they can pay their mortgage, that they can save for the future by doing their work in in
0: open source software. And and again, back to the money. What are the consequences of, of you know, why pay in in ether as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to dollars? What what changes when you start getting mm-hmm. paid in this stuff?
1: Well. <clears throat> The, there actually is a stablecoin on the Ethereum network called Dai. I think the Dai is Greek for money. It's 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 something for 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 money. But basically, one Dai is always equal to one dollar. It's a stablecoin. So basically, you can transact in stable units of account using cryptocurrency. But the cool thing is that you can transact in fifteen seconds all the way across the world. And so you know, in the United States, where we can. Trust our banking system, but it might take four to five days to get an ACH, uh, an ACH uh, deposit, then maybe that's not a killer app. It's just convenient to be able to do it faster. But if you live in Eastern Europe or in parts of Africa where you can't trust your financial institutions holy smokes, this opens up a whole new avenue of work for you because you don't have to trust anyone to intermediary those funds in between the funder and the coder. Um, It also means that for Gitcoin that we don't have to ever touch those funds either. Gitcoin is actually a completely peer-to-peer network, which is not the case with, say, Upwork Mm -hmm. or Uber, for example. Uh, Upwork, if you look at their terms of service, they have something called Upwork Escrow LLC, which is a separate LLC that escrows the funds in between the funders and the workers and gitcoin doesn't have to do that cuz we just use smart contracts to hold the to hold the money in between so when you're using gitcoin you actually don't have to trust gitcoin the company to to make sure that your money is 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 given out which is sort of you know it's 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 a killer app i think as we scale to not be be stuck in the middle of that
0: yeah and, and there's some there it's interesting to see companies starting to embrace the benefits, the possible benefits of not controlling the network. I mean, mm-hmm. um, some of you might have seen uh, uh, that Facebook has this project called Libra, which they, you know, um, pinky swear they're not going to control that it's going to be eventually this decentralized network. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, was was tweeting this month about how um, he's got a team now working on trying to decentralize Twitter. In a way, mm-hmm. these companies that have built their value on centralizing everything mm-hmm. um, seem to also be seeing value in, um, in building a network that they don't control. Mm-hmm. Like, what's it like to build a company on a network that you don't control? Well, I mean,
1: it's really exciting because with open source software, you're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants. You have this open source web servers and, and database servers that you can rely on. But in blockchains, it's actually really exciting because you have all these tools that other people have built that you can just take into a hackathon. And because you have these loaded bags full of tools, you can build something valuable within a weekend that might've taken a bank 20 years ago, years and a $10 million project plan to build. And it's because of open source software that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, The Ethereum network has this, this thing called composability. And you can kind of think of it like Legos for money. So basically, there's there's Ether, which is sort of you can think of as the base layer. And then there's this thing on top of it called DAI, which is a stable coin that anyone can can just use in their smart contracts in if they want to get the stability of the US dollar. And then there's a thing that's built on top of that. So another layer of money Legos called c And basically what c does is it's Dai, but it's interest bearing. So basically you have this. This this amazing system where you can buy CDI and it generates over time uh, interest of I think it's on the order of four or five percent right now and 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 it's just by holding this this CDAI token that you can do that and so one of the amazing things about about the Ethereum space is that when you walk into a hackathon you can just drag and drop an interest bearing asset into your app that you're starting. And you don't have to deal with custody. You don't have to deal with building liquidity. You can just build all that stuff out of the pocket. So in that sense, it's really amazing to be working on the blockchain. Um, the the sort of barriers in the places where it's still a little bit tough is that people, people don't understand the power of this technology. They only see the headlines. And so therefore, they think that Bitcoin's sort of like a, a boom and bust thing. And, um, you know, in, in, in a sense that they're right, but there's there's much more value under the surface there. And so I think that people are sort of averse to blockchains in at the end of 2019. And I also think that there's a lot of usability problems with teaching people who have used banks all of their lives and have a customer service phone number that they can call when there's something wrong to using a crypto wallet where... Uh, the user interface is somewhat different. The addresses look like hexadecimal ha- numbers, which basically look like long, <laughs> complicated numbers to anyone who's not a computer scientist. And so I think usability and sort of the, the brand of blockchain are, are sort of the two challenges that we're dealing with right now. But I'm optimistic that over a longer time arc, maybe uh, on the order of decades, we're going to get we're going to get past those things and that blockchain could positively change the world. That's the hope. You're
0: listening to Looks Like New. We've been speaking with Kevin Owaki about whether networks can liberate work. Stick with us and we'll be right back. This program is brought to you by the KGNU Listener Members and by Quish Sustainable Wealth. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with Kevin Iwaki, who's founder and chief roboticist and wannabe philosopher king. Those are all direct quotations from the Internet. At Gitcoin, a company that builds a double-sided market that connects coders to funding. Um, And a a core part of this work is around supporting uh, open source software. Uh, which is software that uh, has a license that enables anyone to use it or modify it or repurpose it. Um, so it it creates a kind of challenge. Uh, uh, this this question of how do you fund um, in a world of s- scarcity and um, and and capitalism, how do you fund a, um, a, a kind of a resource that anybody can access freely, download, and run uh, on their own machines. This is a a, a big challenge. Something that lots of uh, uh, people have been thinking about for for a while. And and uh, uh, Kevin's project Gitcoin is uh, is one attempt to answer this question. Uh, now there there's a a development happening happening now. I think more and more people are recognizing the challenge and the importance of. Um, of sustainability and uh, and investment in, in open source, for instance, GitHub, which we talked a little bit about earlier, which is the main uh, platform owned by Microsoft that um, many open source uh, software projects are run on, um, has introduced a, pro- a a feature called GitHub Sponsors, which allows payments to open projects. You know, I'm curious, Kevin, do you think that um, solutions are around the corner to this? age-old question of how do you fund common goods uh, mm-hmm. in a kind of private way. I mean, are, are people starting to figure it out, or does it feel like uh, the solution is, is kind of far off? Uh,
1: I, there are, is a whole universe of public goods problems out there in the world. And, um, you know, for me, I'm starting with open source software development because it's the one that I'm most familiar with and I think that I'm most well-equipped to solve. And I think that when I when I think about goods like like roads and bridges and clean air and clean water and national parks, then I just think of just how how bountiful the 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 commons are and how much they've supported and how much I've probably taken them for granted my my whole life. And and, and I think that we maybe are around the corner it to some exciting times, but I also think that we're in a a real bent in the world in which people are sort of losing faith in the government's ability to, to steward the commons, at least here in the U S where the political winds seem to be moving in a way in, in which we want lower taxes and more limited government, that, that could mean less, less support for, less support for the commons. And um, I think that one of the things that really I'm hopeful for, and we're trying to build this future is that, is that we could organize blockchain based systems smart contracts uh, there's this thing in in the ethereum space called daos which which basically stands for decentralized autonomous organization and and you can use these these sort of 21st century co-op fundraising models in in order to support the commons and maybe we can We can create new information age institutions to to support the commons in in order to backstop the slide of, let's say, the industrial age institutions that that don't seem to be. Well, you know, I should I should temper my message here and say that I'm not sure the industrial age institutions are are going to work. But just to give you a tangible to a tangible answer in. I'm focused on open source sustainability, which I think is a 21st century digital digital commons. And the reason why we're actually going to be able to solve open source sustainability is that there's now billions of dollars of capital built on top of open source software. And all of the money that used to go to some back office on Wall Street is now going to go to open source software. So we need to figure out how to efficiently distribute that money to actual common goods in, in the open source space. But my hope is that from the experiments that we do in, in open source, which sort of has fundamental advantages in, in doing now, uh, just because, like I said, there's, there's money sloshing around and it's actually a, a problem that has a lot of urgency for tech companies. How do we get software developers engaged in our products? Then we're going to be able to solve that. And then hopefully the systems that we build will be able to, Apply to other other commons out there in the world.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's a different structure than a lot of the examples you cited, right? The the government uh, uh, stewarded commons model depends mm-hmm. on the uh, a coercive government in some way that's mm-hmm. able to ensure that it's you know that it's uh, uh, slices collected through taxation, and then it's yeah. able to uh, uh, assign that value toward. Enabling certain things to exist and mm-hmm. and and protecting certain commons. In these cases, you know these are mainly kind of voluntary associations, right, where people are opting in mm-hmm. and contributing um, right. in order to produce something that, you know, may may uh, uh, deliver benefits to people who aren't contributing. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's it's kind of a harder problem, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, perhaps one of these networks could find a way to yeah.
1: solve. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look on it with par, then it is a harder problem. But you know, some of the properties of blockchain, we now have global liquidity in, available in the networks without a lot of of it. We've got we've got global liquidity in these networks, and we've also got the ability. Uh, we have smart contracts now, and so uh, one of the abstract reasons why I think that blockchain networks will have an advantage here is that. If you have smart contracts that you can put on a on a blockchain, then you can basically program them to have your values in there. So if you can take money and you can program it to have your values in it, then what sort of inform- interesting mechanisms could we could we use to support the commons? Can you and, give
0: an example of money with values in it?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> we're working on this 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 thing for Gitcoin called. Bitcoin grants, which is basically a, a way of supporting the commons and open source software. And one of the things that we've been doing in order to give people an incentive to contribute to these grants is putting together a matching pool, which is basically the Ethereum Foundation, which is one of our the community's benefactors, needs to figure out how to efficiently support projects that are building on Ethereum until these projects can find business models. And so we've put together this matching pool. We actually just announced Gitcoin Grants Round 4 matching, which will be from January 6th to, I think, January 13th. And basically, the idea is that we've got $200,000 in matching funds. And those will match contributions to different Gitcoin grants, of which there are 250. And so now here's the twist, and this is where the programmable money comes in. The traditional matching is one-to-one. So basically, if you contribute $100 to grant A, then it will be matched with $100 in matching funds. Now, we've got something that's called quadratic matching, and it's fancy and mathematical. According to Glenn Weil, it's the mathematically optimal way to fund public goods that the public actually cares about. But I, I won't get into any of the math. I'll just break it down in a, in a very tangible example. So that $100 is going to grant one. And you have grant two that gets 10, $10 contributions totaling $100. First grant only has one supporter that's kind of a whale. And the second grant has 10 supporters. So it's more funded by the commons. So basically, the grant B, the one that has 10 contributions, will get way more matching from the the matching pool. And so basically what this does is it, it allows the public to vote with only a dollar by really putting their money where their mouth is by contributing a dollar and measures what the, the community actually broadly really cares about. So it solves two problems. The first is why should I give my money to this to this commons thing? It doesn't you know it seems like someone else will fund it if i don't and and it also solves the problem of of funding goods that the a broad swath of the public cares about instead of the 1% which is an imp- Important thing, arguably, if we're going to fund the commons, we need to fund things that that the public is going to use, the general democratic populace is going to use. And so that's that's just one tangible example of programming your values into your money to support the commons. And we've done four rounds of Gitcoin grants, CLR matching. Vitalik Buterin, if you look on his website, has a has a review of Gitcoin grants and basically how how it how good of a job it did in order to support open source sustainability. But I'll just I'll just quote really quick that one of the lines from Vitalik's post is that we could start to see the rise of a quadratic freelancer someone who just works by and for the open Internet because of Gitcoin grants. And to me, that's really exciting. We can just have someone who's working in the Commons, not for a private corporation sponsored by Microsoft or sponsored by GitHub, which, you know, I think it's great that they're sponsoring people. But if you have someone who's who's just completely crown funded and supported by the Commons, then that's sort of a more Pure way of supporting uh, supporting the commons with 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 programmable money, and so that's just one example of of something that's happening right now. But I do think that there's a whole universe of possibility once you take programmable money and 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 get people engaged in actually voting with their dollars, voting with their feet, and I'm excited to see what what else develops over the next several years.
0: Now, there's one interesting development go- going on in the in the open source world that I've been really curious about lately, which is um, a turn uh, toward actually restructuring some of the licenses mm-hmm. uh, in open source. Right, so the the There's kind of this standard. There are a whole bunch of licenses out there, but they generally follow a pattern. Uh, Again, the code is open for anybody to see. Not only that, um, they can modify it and reuse it and uh, build their own things with it. Mm -hmm. And their ability to use it is not constrained. So you can use it for good or for evil, for for free or, or charge money whatever it is. And, and now we have, especially with the rise of the big uh, cloud giants, particularly Amazon Web Services, um, you see uh, open source projects feeling like their work is being exploited because mm-hmm. Amazon's able to take their code, deploy it, on its servers um, and repackage it, repackage it as a paid service mm-hmm. or integrate it as part of their paid service. So now yeah. there's this turn toward more restrictive licenses, Right, uh, this source available license where yes, you can see the code, but you can't run mm-hmm. a business uh, on it that competes with our business. Right. Um, do you see that sort of thing happening, where in a sense you end up with more diversity, yeah. dynamism in the in the intellectual property licenses, along with this programmable money?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the design space here is just so vast that Gitcoin can't possibly explore it, and. And we've started doing virtual hackathons where we'll add ideas like this to our skunk works list and ask a, a coder out there to build it for on the order to three to five thousand dollars over a two-week period open source licensing is not something that we've explored properly at gitcoin but uh, uh just to comment on your your example of amazon which i think is a is a really tangible one gitcoin's actually hosted on amazon i use a lot of their services i think it's it's great as a software developer, but. I feel the pain from the maintainer sustainability angle and so the licenses are one way to handle that but amazon could just sidestep that by taking whatever niche your product fills and assigning a staff of 10 engineers to build a copy of it and then put it into amazon ec2 i think that something that maybe would address the consolidation that Amazon has is crypto networks that could replace Amazon. And I know that this is going to be a little bit far out, but if you think about it, Amazon really just provides the functionality that your computer has, but elastic. So elastic computation, elastic storage, elastic
0: messaging queues. And so basically- Meaning like one day I'm using five megabytes and suddenly mm-hmm. if tomorrow I need 50 megabytes, yeah, no problem, the system takes care of it. Yeah, for
1: sure. And um, yes, I'm glad you jumped in. Uh, my computer science degree sometimes gets me ahead, uh, but yes, j- jump in again if I'm, if I'm being too deep into the technical weeds. But basically the idea is that there's these blockchain networks that are also going to to uh, allow elastic computation and elastic storage to exist but hosted peer to peer on each other's uh, it, on on people's cell phones and on people's computers instead of hosted at Amazon so it's basically a way of uh, distributing the core value proposition of Amazon web services democratizing that out to individual people who have the technical skills to to do that and and you can earn crypto tokens in exchange for for hosting that information. So I think that long term, that's the thing that I'm really excited about when it comes to providing a little bit of competition to Amazon and to Azure and all of those cloud services. The licensing stuff absolutely is is an interesting thing. Also, uh, as we evolve from MIT and GPL into I think it's Common Core is the new one that just launched. I'm excited to see how, how that stuff evolves. And I, I predict that there will be someone that takes a blockchain-based token and uses that as a way of, of credentialing people to, to use their software, to use their open source software. One of the things that blockchains do really well is create digital scarcity. There can only be 21 million Bitcoin in the world, but you can copy and paste an MP3 file or a text file as many times uh. As you want. So basically, enforcing digital scarcity is an important thing for for licensing, and and, and someone's going to crack that nut. I don't know if it'll be Gitcoin, but if you're listening and you have an idea, then then please at me on Twitter, and and we should jam on it.
0: Well, it's an it's an interesting moment because the open source movement that this commons came about because of clever hacks around intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what was really left behind was. Was money and economy? You know that yeah. there wasn't an economy built on it, so it became parasitic sure. on, you know, existing, you know, uh, developer economies that relied on people who might have had a job or could expect a job, yeah. um, or projects that some company just happened to want to support. Yeah, and then you end up with a situation where you know a company like Google, you know, is contributing a lot to these communities, but is yeah. also you know using Linux, yeah. the open source. Operating system at the core of its, you know, little yeah. Android surveillance devices.
1: So basically, and we've what we've arrived at the status quo is basically com- big companies that have the administrative heft to and the profits to will do sort of a corporate virtue signal, and they'll hire a small team to work on open source software, and they'll put it all over their branding, especially when they're recruiting engineers. Google supports open source, and, and I think that that's great, but I, I think that we need something that's a little bit more foundational and is tied into these companies' bottom lines. It it, it It's recruiting developers and, and contributing to open source as a means to that end is, is I think, only, only the tip of the iceberg, and to your point open source software started becoming a thing 10 years ago and and it wasn't sustainable because we didn't have an economy to build around that but now we have blockchains and we have this digital economy with global 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 liquidity and so i think that it's a really interesting time to be trying to solve this 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 problem
0: You're listening to Looks Like New, and we're talking with Kevin Owaki, founder of Gitcoin, a company that builds markets uh, that connect uh, coders to funding. We'll be right back. How are you ringing in the Roaring Twenties? Whether staying in or rolling out, let KGNU provide the soundtrack in community fashion with our special New Year's Eve party mix, Tuesday, December 31st, featuring five of your favorite KGNU volunteer DJs. Enjoy upful celebratory tunes from across the spectrum of beats, 7 p.m. until the next decade in the spirit of collaboration. Tune into KGNU's New Year's Eve party mix starting at 7 p.m. As the year draws to a close, take a moment to reflect on the things you value most. If the information and entertainment you get from KGNU puts us on your list, consider making a tax-deductible year-end gift to your favorite radio station. Find us at KGNU.org and make your gift today. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with uh, Kevin Owaki of a startup called Gitcoin, exploring the question of how networks can liberate work. Um, you know, th- this conversation... Um, makes me think of this kind of classic 1937 paper by the economist uh, uh, Ronald Coase uh, about the theory of the firm. What is the firm? What is a company? Mm. Why do companies exist? Um, and the answer it comes to has to do with transaction costs. You know, it's, mm. it's if you're having to go out to the market, you know, go go to the, um, you know, the parking lot in front of Home Depot anytime you're trying to uh, uh, build anything. Um, You know, it just requires more time than and and cost than hiring somebody who's going to show up at work every day and being Mm. able to kind of rely on their labor. Yeah. Um, And and, you know, in a sense the a lot of the conversations about the future of work carry this promise that digital networks can change that equation, Mm. that, that actually they can reduce the friction of of hiring. Uh, to the point that you no longer need fixed employment, and, mm-hmm. and a corollary of that too is like is if you don't need fixed employment anymore, do you need companies anymore? Mm-hmm. You know so I'm curious about as somebody building a company in the mm-hmm. context of this kind of build uh, of a future of work like this, mm-hmm. um, do you expect to always have a company, or do you right. expect the company to somehow kind of dissolve into the network?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And 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 I think that I'll I'll mention upfront that Gitcoin and is Gitcoin is in, in a lot of ways an arbitrage between Boulder, Colorado, where we're recording this episode, and New York City. Where our primary financier, Joe Lubin, the founder of Ethereum and the founder of Consensus, lives, and Gitcoin uh, would not be at the level it is today without without Joe and and Consensus. So I want to say very quickly thank you to them. I I do think that we're exploring a lot of different spaces and and almost value systems if you if you think about it because you know there's the Boulder, Colorado person in me that feels like wow, this is really promising technology and what would it look like? But it also is a little bit worried that we're on the knife's edge between utopia and dystopia. I mean, a world in which everyone can choose their job when they wake up and work on what they're infinitely passionate about sounds really great to me. But I also worry about people getting stuck in debt cycles where they're just taking on jobs that they don't care about just to drudge through drudge through making things work and it's it's at the intersection of of the value set of of Colorado where we talk about things like the commons and how to create a better world for the world's workers and then New York which i think of as very capitalistic and in market driven and the key is to just arrange those parts in such a way that it points us more towards the the utopian world than it is the dystopian world and so here here are the 3 Well, four mega mega trends that I see that are really changing the way we're going to be doing work in the world. The first is automation. So basically, uh, of the jobs that produced economic output in the 2000s that still exists today, way more of them are knowledge work as as opposed to uh, non-knowledge work type tasks. Uh, and so basically, you're seeing a retraining of people in these Rust Belt states that used to work in more industrial tasks. And in software engineering is now the biggest, highest growing profession in, in many of the states across the world or sorry, across the country. The second is the gig economy. So the atomization of work, you're starting to see, you know, all the stuff that you just talked about, the collapsing of the firm into into more into more gigs. And then the third mega trend, I think, is blockchain. So basically the changing the way economic work economics works, uh, allowing for global money transfer that doesn't involve traditional institutions and maybe the tokenization, we haven't really talked about it on this episode, but the tokenization of different assets that you couldn't tokenize in the old world. And then the fourth is just changes in the way software development is done. Lots more remote work and lots more focus on open source software. And so you know i guess i'm taking a roundabout way of answering your question but i just wanted to point out that you know there's this arbitrage between markets and our values and then also there's these four mega trends automation atomization of work blockchain remote work opens open source software and it's our goal to to build at the center of those four mega trends a future-proof solution to to this problem so basically i uh, I'm not a talented enough economist to know what the theory of the firm looks like in the 21st century, but I am good at making uh, shiny web interfaces that developers are into, and I am good at expressing the the values that I think that, that these networks should have. And and that's sort of what we've built Gitcoin uh, around. Um, Gitcoin is, is a company. It is not a network. You will hear a lot of blockchain companies that tokenize and they're going to build a protocol for a future of work. I I skipped that whole thing in 2017 when everyone was doing it. I just focused on product and just focused on building an experience that people, that people like. And so far, it seems to be rewarding us because our product is shipped and actually has users 300K going through it every month. And a lot of these products that just focused on tokenizing, and therefore they had to hire lawyers to fight with regulators about whether or not their token was a security. They just went down this whole rabbit hole that we didn't have to go down. Now... Far future, I I don't know if we'll ever if we'll ever tokenize Gitcoin. I think that one one useful way of making sure that that my incentives as a manager of the company are aligned with the world's workers, uh, assuming Gitcoin becomes more of a thing in the world, is to basically make the users of Gitcoin into owners of Gitcoin. So basically, uh, I I I think it. I think I just think that the there's just this problem with with uh, with capitalism when you have investors that invest in a management team of a of a marketplace company, and then they have all these users that they bring onto the platform, and they say, go make your income depend on this platform, make your income depending depend on our economy. And, and basically, the dynamic that you'll see behind the scenes, if you're a founder of a startup, is that the investors will lean on the managers to extract from the users, to extract from the economic output of the users. And so as a manager, you're stuck in the middle of this, oh, I have to please my investors. And, and so I think that the only way to solve that incentive problem is to make the users of the company into, into owners of the company. And so this kind of goes back to ConsenSys' vision is a world in which everyone owns a piece of everything, give people more stake mm-hmm. in in their local communities and, and in the world. And so uh, I, I don't know the theoretical answer to the theory of the firm, but I can tell you that what I'm doing at Gitcoin is at least we're trying to tilt it towards aligned incentives across the network.
0: And and when you talk about tokenizing a company, I just want to be clear on that. I mean, it's, it can take a lot of different forms, but we're essentially talking about um Taking something that might have been represented as sh- mm. shares of stock, yeah. right, in the kind of classical or yeah. industrial system, and uh, taking that value and putting it in mm. into the blockchain specifically. So, so, yeah. um, so the the tokens of the network are actually the value mm. of the organization, and therefore yeah. they can be traded just as fluidly as. Uh, yeah. those tokens and 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 the regulatory issues you're talking yeah. about are uh, you know the of uh, this crackdown about you know are these tokens really any different from securities and increasingly yeah. regulators are kind of saying no, you right know, we're going to apply the same rules yeah uh, to these to this yeah. magic uh, 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 software exactly and so it's an interesting moment it, you know is this something new you know yeah. or is it an attempt? Is this something new, or is it an attempt to um, mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of uh, skirt some rules that were right. created for you know yeah. some good reasons, some bad ones?
1: Yeah, I think the SEC hasn't really weighed in on that too much, and that's part of why we're in a holding pattern on tokenizing Gitcoin. Also because we're just focused on creating a product people love, which is a lot of work. But there's this there's this spectrum between utility tokens and security tokens. And um, basically when I was a kid, I went to Chuck E. Cheese, I would put in some money and I would get out these tokens that I could use in the arcades in order to create utility for me within, within Chuck E. Cheese. And um, those, those are just basically a tokenized economy in the 1980s. And um, a lot of people, when they did this thing called ICOs, which stands for Initial Coin Offering in 2017, basically tried to, before they had even built their Chuck E. Cheese, sell tokens to people. In order to fund the construction of 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 their of their Chuck E. Cheese, and um, and basically there was this regulatory crackdown where people said, well, because this doesn't really exist, it actually looks a lot more like a security, a traditional issuance of equity, than it does a utility token, and and therefore the SEC stepped in and and fined a lot of companies, even shut down a couple. A couple projects and so i i actually believe that really to align incentives of managers with with their their users then you should just issue equity and you know there's regulatory issues with that but the sec is revisiting accreditation rules and there's this thing called reg cf that allows you to sell money to unaccredited or sell equity to unaccredited investors and so there there are ways to do it i think that you know i think that a lot of founders in 2017 just got got greedy and didn't want to give up, give up equity in exchange, in exchange for their fundraise And I think that that came back to bite them karmically and legally down, down the line.
0: But well, it, it was also incredible deja vu. I mean, it felt yeah. like, um, <clears throat> for those of us who are kind of observing and involved, you know, it, it kind of felt like a glimpse of 1929, you know, mm-hmm. you, get, you just saw this this uh, totally overloaded yeah. you know, uh, market and people able to kind of sell you a bridge over and over and over. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, it kind of was a reminder in some respects of mm-hmm. why we have some of these rules to begin with. For uh, sure. You know, that idea of also, you know, the Chuck E. Cheese coins, right? Yeah. That, you know, used to be called company script, you know, when people would yeah. get paid you know in the company's own dollars that they could only spend at the company and and there are yeah. abuses uh there so yeah. so uh you know in some ways this this blockchain you know environment is kind of relearning some old lessons and having to right. ask itself you know uh uh <clears throat> you know which of these These regulations, these sets of rules, you know, were made for good reason and might need to be replicated, you know, in the new systems.
1: Yeah, for sure. Here's the way I think about it. The Internet of Information allowed computers to send information across the network and therefore entertainment, media, politics, everything that relies on information in society was changed by the Internet. And, you know, if you don't believe me, look at some old photos from the 1990s and look at how big your cordless phone was and the DVD collection you had instead of Netflix. And the Internet of Finance is what we're enabling with blockchain. You can now send financial value or financial assets over a computer network without an intermediary. And what else? What relies on finance and society? Well, a heck of a lot banking, uh, jobs, public goods funding all rely. And so the idea is that with blockchains, the order of magnitude of shift could potentially be as big as the internet because so many things rely on financial value, just like so many things relied on internet back in the internet of information. And so the the thing the reason why I told your listeners at the top to look beyond just scratching the surface with the Bitcoin bubble was that I really truly, in my heart of hearts believe that, the ICO wave that we saw in 2017 was just the first killer app of blockchains. And it was horribly misused and it was it was bad in a lot of ways. But so was Minesweeper on my Windows 95 computer. And it was just one application of 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 comp- computing and, and 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 later of the internet. To have to have those little utility apps on there, and so uh, I I try to focus on what's possible what's possible giving this new paradigm of computing and these new tools that we have, and let's not focus on what's the next Minesweeper. Let's figure let's focus on on what's the next Uber, what's the next Facebook, what's the next Google? Because I think that there's going to be genre-defining companies and networks that come out of the blockchain boom. It's just going to take a couple of decades, just like the internet at first was just an AOL login and it was slow and it was bad. But after decades, it, it sort of changed everything. And I, that's sort of the time horizon that I've got for for blockchain,
0: changing jobs, changing investments, and, and public goods funding. And so you've got a An event coming up uh, called Sustain uh, Web 3. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that?
1: For sure, yeah. So a lot of people in the blockchain space are starting to realize that public goods funding are possibly a killer app for blockchain networks. And we're going to be hosting a one-day summit in Boulder, Colorado on February 13th in order to discuss that idea space, that design space. And so we're going to... We're going to be having world-class speakers fly in in order to discuss the the possibility of programming our values into our money of sustaining open source software. And uh, the, you know, the end game is to create, the end game long-term is to create information age institutions that can fund public goods that create better jobs for people. But the near-term sort of play with Sustain Web 3 is just to create a uh, a space for those conversations to be to be had for the community to self-organize around their products that they wanna that they wanna be building that are gonna meet that that goal. So, Sustain Web3. If you go to web3.sustainoss.org, then that's the website. It's February 13th in Boulder, Colorado. I will be speaking. I think Nathan, I asked you to speak, and uh, I'm excited to see what comes out of the event.
0: Great. Thank you. And how can people get involved in Gitcoin as well? Yeah, just
1: go to gitcoin.co and poke around our website. We've got a page about our mission. We've got a page about our vision. We've got a page about the results that we're generating so far. So if you're a skeptic and you want to see how is this network actually performing, I've got some stats for you. That page is updated every three hours. And so it should be up to date. And uh, yeah, just check out gitcoin.co and twitter.com slash gitcoin is the best place to follow us online.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nathan. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking today with Kevin Owaki, who's the founder of Gitcoin, a company that builds a double-sided market that connects coders uh, to funding. Uh, and he's also co- co-organizing, speaking at the Sustain Web 3 gathering on February 13th here in Colorado. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. Looks Like New is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more uh, on our work at cmci.colorado.edu medlab. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word, uh, let people uh, know about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd uh, love to hear from you with comments and guest ideas. You can reach me at medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month.